The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. He's controversial. 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. He's outspoken. You will tell your kids and your grandkids and your great, great grandkids. And he tells it like it is. That you watched a great athlete named the franchise and he was the greatest world's heavyweight champion of all time. He is the franchise Shane Douglas and you are listening to the Triple Threat Podcast. Prepare to get your ass franchised. podcast being brought to you today on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire if you didn't know by now my name is chad and as always i'm joined by my tag team partner from the two-man power trip the one and only jp john Paz. and on this show whether or not he's ready to go we have him on the line he is the one and only franchise shane douglas it's actually episode 73 so i knew i was right on one of those numbers shane how the hell are you doing tonight Feeling swimmingly. Let's let's nail this puppy. <laughs> well, we just came off a huge weekend. You were literally running around uh, like a chicken with your head cut off across the uh, the middle part and then into the southern part of the country. The huge WrestleCade weekend coming off a of Thanksgiving holiday. Are you feeling all right, Shane? A lot of miles, a lot of fans, a lot of matches. But how are you holding up after all that? I feel great. I mean, honestly, I mean the the, the road work is tough, but. You know, first of all, WrestleCade, what Tracy does with uh, WrestleCade to raise money to help underprivileged kids for Christmas, uh, to me, that's that's an underhanded pitch. You know, so I, I'm all in for that kind of stuff. Uh, I can't think of a cooler reason to be performing and to see such a great turnout, not just on the, uh, the convention part and not just for the huge show that they had Saturday night, but Sunday morning. They had to scramble to put out a crap load more seats because of the ECW panel. And, you know, so all the way around, it was a great weekend. That's awesome. Now, how was the panel with everybody sitting down and telling stories? Uh, saw some pictures from it. I know they've, I think they've released it via their High Spots network, but how was that? And how was the fan interaction? Uh, the fan interaction was great. Uh, I won't fill in names, but some were hungover, uh, some were. At the tip of their game, uh, some were feeling under the weather because of food poisoning. But you know, all in all, like when you there's something about and you can feel it on the stage when you put us all together. There's a you know the uh, the value of the sum is greater than the parts, right? And all the parts. Uh, there's something about when you put ECW 
together in a room and you know the magic swells up again that's awesome yeah hearing that it was sold out they had to add seats to the event because uh that's quite the addition for the WrestleCade weekends, which, you know, at first, I mean, look, it, it really honored a lot of the, uh, you know, the more uh, North Carolina-based promotions, a lot of the Jim Crockett fans, the Georgia Championship Wrestling fans, obviously Mid-Atlantic. It was a huge hotbed for that, but as the convention itself has evolved, you've seen the integration of all the different eras, and this year really was ECW's time to shine, and you looked around that room, and John and I were both there, and you saw everybody, whether on one side you see James Mitchell and you see RVD or you walked over where you were and it was you and the Sandman and Jerry Lynn. And then on the other side, you saw Joel Gertner. So it was a very cool collection. Oh, and how can I forget my favorite, the Queen? How could you forget about her standing right next to you? I know I didn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> Oh, Francine was there? I, I, didn't, I didn't even realize. Uh, no, again, that's, hey, look, I, I mean, you know, I'm not blowing smoke or, or selling a point here, but... You know, if you're a Ric Flair fan or a Hulk Hogan fan uh, or anybody from that generation, you've probably got that autograph by now. Uh, ECW was the next thing in the uh, in the canon, so to speak. It was the next big uh, era of wrestling. And for no small thinking that it really did change wrestling. The reason was it had to change wrestling. Wrestling was dying in 1993. Uh, uh, 92, 93, the big two companies, WCW, WWF, were hemorrhaging fans much exactly like we see today. And here comes this company in this filthy cockroach-infested bingo hall, known later known as ECW Arena, and transformed the business. Now, the fans give us all the credit, but honestly, just like at the panel on Sunday, You've got to point the finger right back to the fans because without those fans, uh, we called them colloquially the sixth man on the bench. Uh, the reason being, had it not been for those fans every three, three and a half weeks at ECW Arena, that month could have been the final day for ECW. And as nice as it would have been to have a billion-dollar corporation like a Pand Energy <laughs> behind us, uh, the wonderful thing about it was that we had a connection directly to our fans and them to us. They knew our affinity for them, and we certainly knew their affinity for us. So uh, the energy that we got off of that held our feet to the fire, uh, made us make sure that the next show topped the last show, and there was something incredibly refreshing about that. You know, as, as nice as it would have been to have a guaranteed paycheck and to know that X Corporation was going to be dumping this much money into it, looking back at it, the excitement and the love that we had, because ECW honestly was the only place that I looked forward in my wrestling career, was the only place that I looked forward to going to work, because it, it wasn't work. It was, I get to go hang out with my boys and my friends this weekend, and work in front of those goddamn incredible fans. Uh, it was fun in every respect of the word, uh, in every semblance of the word, I mean. Uh, so for us, the fact that we didn't have that big corporation behind us forged an even deeper connection to our fans because it was necessity. Without those fans and without their affinity and without their dollars, every three, three and a half weeks, ECW could have bellied up, bellied up 
on any particular uh, month. The fact that we didn't, and we were able to transform wrestling in the way that we did, and the fact that fans today still chant ECW so vehemently anytime it comes up uh, speaks for itself. As Vince McMahon himself found out, you can't just recreate that. You, it's got to be, and I hate to use the word, but it's got to be organic. It's got to be real. And the way ECW was real with its fans and its fans were with us, that's the reason that in 2018, ECW still survives as a concept. Uh, and for me, it's be, it'll be something that I remember for the rest of my life. It, an incredible, incredible experience. And Sunday only underscored that. Yeah, that's so cool. And I'm even forgetting some of the other guys. I mean, Blue Meanie was there. Gary Wolf was there. Chris Hamrick was walking around. I mean, we saw tons of guys throughout the entire place. And then you got your fringe ECW guys too, Shane. You got your Mr. Hughes of the world and Ron Simmons. And you got to see really yeah. everybody. And we will count Mr. Hughes as an ECW original. I know some other folks won't, but we and even Bundy. Let's not forget about King Kong Bundy there in the early Correct. days of ECW. Kind of forgotten the time there a little bit. No, no, hey, uh, Bundy, Tito Santana, uh, uh, Stan Hansen, Don Morocco. I mean, there were a ton of guys from that older generation, uh, and it was nothing against them, the reason that they were jettisoned off as we moved forward. The whole idea of ECW was uh, to launch Pat off of that, but then to present to the world this entire new generation and when you stop and look at it and you realize that Shane Douglas is my biggest claim to fame at that point, and I don't minimize this, but my biggest claim to fame was I was Ricky Steamboat's partner at a tag team championship. Terry Funk, of course, had accolades out the wazoo. And everybody else on the card was somebody that somebody had read, some fan had read about from Japan, uh, some dirt sheet, had never seen... And suddenly there we are, you know, the Island of Misfit Toys in the ECW arena transforming the wrestling business. We didn't have a billion dollar Panda Energy or Time Warner or, or, or Titan Sports behind us. What we had was a great booker, an incredibly talented dressing room, an incredibly voracious, intelligent, articulate, and bought in audience. And we changed wrestling forever as a result. Yes, you did, absolutely. And hey, I just want to ask JP here. JP, did you survive your ride from New Jersey to North Carolina with uh, with the great KKB, King Kong Bundy? Oh, yeah. Uh, somehow, barely su uh, survived that ride with uh, the big man himself, King Kong Bundy. It was a long ride. It really, it really was from uh, New Jersey all the way down there to North Carolina. So are you saying that, meaning that it was an onerous ride, that it was horrible being with King Kong Bundy for all that time, or it was just a tough drive physically um let's see here it was definitely a tough drive physically but he is he is that nasty heel you know what i mean <laughs> shane he is that heel the whole ride so it was something to endure but no that uh that uh, nine hour ride nine hour plus ride is not fun. nine I felt like yeah i felt like um shane uh when moose is doing his travel schedule that's what i felt like this weekend yeah <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it for nine hours, but uh, I'm sure uh, Chris was happy at Bundy. King Kong Bundy was was happy about that nine-hour drive. <laughs> he was uh, 
he wasn't surprised by it, but he definitely wasn't happy with it. Like I could say that <laughs> right, for sure. Hey, who controls the radio? <laughs> you know, it's funny. On the way down, I I controlled it, and on the way back, he, he said, "You know what, John? I'm not listening to that shit anymore." He said, "I'm going to come, Bundy. I'm putting on what I want to put on." So he controlled the radio on the way back. Unfortunately. <laughs> And you and you bowed up to him, didn't you? You said, "Oh, damn it, this is the way it's going to be." Well, I said, "I was like, ah, you did main event WrestleMania too, so yeah, I, I guess." <laughs> uh, he's a great guy. I, I, I felt bad; I didn't get a chance. I, I, every time I got ready to sort of sweep to the room to go say hello to everybody, we had another mad rush. You know, we were, we were pretty busy, and I got to give kudos again to Tracy for improving the setup at WrestleCade this year. Last year was the abysmal shit. Uh, you know, the way they had the railing set up and everybody funneling through and the matches going on inside the perimeter of that, uh, it created an incredible number of bottlenecks. And, you know, from everything everybody I spoke to, uh, everybody did exponentially less business. And I don't think the fans were happy either because they were getting stuck in the bottlenecks. Uh, so... Kudos to Tracy this year for spending the extra money to put, you know, to put the convention upstairs away from the matches. And uh, it also seemed like there were less vendors there. And as a result, it made for a much more open floor, uh, floor, floor plan that the fans could sort of sweep through much like they did in WrestleCade 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, very good. Can't nothing but uh, nothing but kudos as well from uh, how that setup looked. And yeah, that last year was woof, man, that was tight. <laughs> that was if you didn't want to smell somebody, you had no choice because you were right <laughs> on top of anybody and everybody. So that was yeah, changed. It was tough. This year was much better. So you know, rekindled the great thoughts that I have. You know, I, I always look forward to WrestleCade, much like WrestleCon, and. Uh, you know, a chance to see, you know, your your brothers in arms. You know, like I always tell the fans, and, and we mentioned in the uh, ECW panel on Sunday, you know, for us, this is much like a, a family reunion. Uh, you know, there's times there are guys and women in that crew that I will see multiple times, if not weekly, multiple times throughout the year. And then there are others that I don't see for three, four, five years on end and yet you get into the building and, and, you know, suddenly here you are with your uh, friends that you haven't seen for so long. So it really is for us like a family reunion. And then, to get, you know, to meet the fans and, and get a chance to interact with them. It, it just really takes a great experience to even being greater. So great. Yeah, a lot of fun. And obviously we'll see you next year, uh, WrestleCade, and uh, see what comes next. But, hey, also a few weeks away. Icons of Wrestling in Philadelphia, December 8th. We'll all be back in the building one more time. So uh, we'll be talking about that in the next uh, show as well. And we'll hit the plug at the end uh, to cap off this episode. But we want to dig into what we've got at hand here for the episodes. We're going to cover two topics uh, in the time we've got allotted to us today. One ties into you directly, Shane, with how it's similar to something you did in your career. And then another one is uh, one of the real huge hot-button issues in uh, the wrestling world, dying to hear what you got to say about it. But let's kick it off with uh, what happened at Survivor Series two weeks ago in California as uh, former WWE star Enzo Amore uh, sort of crashed the place and uh, stood up, did his shtick, 
wore a very elaborate costume into the building and uh, managed to get on the hard cam and uh, do his shtick in front of the, uh, the live crowd to the uh, dismay of the WWE audience. Now, the reason I say that ties into you is because your very famous invasion during Monday Night Raw back in 2012, a couple, I would say close parallels, uh, but like I said, very reminiscent to what you did, but did you get a chance to see what we had sent you uh, in relation to this Enzo uh, crashing of Survivor Series? I had heard about it, I, you know, just for, for uh, discuss, discussion's sake, I did watch the uh, pay-per-view, uh, and without going into my typical diatribe, I was far less than impressed. Uh, during the live pay-per-view, I was unaware of anything happening. I, I don't know if I was watching it, they didn't put the cameras on, but I didn't see this thing happening as as the show was going on, um, but, you know, the, the We'll we'll dig into some of the differences and some of the similarities, but uh, you know, yeah, I mean, clearly somebody had tried to usurp the show, and and I can already hear the people saying, well, you know, you're a hypocrite because you're saying this, but then you did that, but and we'll get into that and dissect that and parse through the the nitty gritty of it uh, as we go on. So let's roll with it. So a little bit of the background on Enzo, if you don't know, I mean, we talked about his rap single that he released. Uh, after being released by the WWE earlier this year to uh, <laughs> much to the comedic tones of uh, what he had to say in that uh, that song. But there's definitely bad feelings between him and the WWE. He had a history of being a locker room problem. Uh, he obviously also had the uh, rape allegations that have come to have uh, been cleared of, but still, nonetheless, he didn't report it to management. They kind of used that as the excuse to cut ties and uh, it's not been a good relationship since. I could definitely see him on that list of guys who was probably never going to get that invite back. Um, but yeah, he made this attempt to promote an event he had at the Whiskey A Go Go the following night uh, at Survivor Series. And, uh, you know, I give him credit for that, uh, kind of getting the guerrilla, you know, marketing aspect of it out there. Um, but I want to relate it to you, you know, and, and if we can just jump into that. In 2012, you did the same thing. And uh, this time it was during, uh, it was on Monday Night Raw, it was during a uh, match between Kane and the Big Show. You ripped off the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the elaborate costume you had, a lucha, a lucha mask, to reveal that franchise shirt. And uh, the crowd started chanting ECW, and eventually you were escorted out of the building. Uh, but I'll, I'll, let's take it from the, uh, the similarities. So you're both going out of your way to uh, kind of invade the show. Uh, both doing it in different ways, but you know, Shane, what do you think? How does it kind of relate to what you did? Well, the, the difference is a, I had an extensive history in the spectrum. I had wrestled in the spectrum dozens and dozens of times. Uh, and Philadelphia for better, for worse was where I cut my teeth with ECW, the fledgling company, ECW. So the reason we did that when we did it, was that uh, the extreme rising events that we would, were holding uh, were in a few weeks and thought it perfect that you know, the fans in Philadelphia would obviously respond in a positive way. And, you know, let's face it, if I had called Vince and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing something like swinging by, you know, I'd have been summarily shut down. Um, that was plain and simple the essence of ECW, as Taz, you know, colloquially called it, the fuck the world. 
you know, you're, this is our backyard. And even though ECW is gone, this is the backyard that Philadelphians see as being ECWs. And so we have an event to pay homage to that legacy in a few weeks. And so we bought our tickets. And I'm going to clarify something you said earlier. I was not escorted from the building. Uh, after I stood up and, and took off, and, and just to give some more texture to it, I was very careful to make sure that I wasn't really interrupting any match. Uh, I didn't want to step on any of the boys or do anything like that. And I should have done it a bit earlier because they did this 25, 30 minute boar fest in the ring about uh, uh, Chris Jericho calling somebody's father an alcoholic. And this thing droned on and on and on. It literally was watching paint dry. But the person that I was with that was filming it uh, kept saying, no, no, let's, let's, let's wait, let's wait, let's wait. And instead of using my instinct as the one would have been best to go, uh, you know, he kept pushing it off. And I, until I finally said, Squirt, we're going now. Uh, but I was not escorted from the building. We had purchased tickets uh, that were, in my estimation, ridiculously overpriced. Uh, we had, <laughs> you know, just for the fans out there that have, have not been to a show and thinking of maybe going, the ringside seats, uh, we, I think we paid, it was 550 or 650 a ticket. And I had approximately 12 to 13 inches of space forward and side to side. Uh, I was crammed in. And uh, I, I, the whole time we were sitting there before we did the uh, unmask, I thought to myself, you know, my kids used to be into this, used to be into this. And uh, since I've grown it, thank God. But would I spend this kind of money to bring my kids to something like this, to be squeezed into this teeny tiny space and crammed in and the answer is no i wouldn't we can just usually sit at home and watch on monday night uh but uh the unmasked when we finally did the unmasked it, there was sort of like a you know you've seen the wave right uh where this section jumps and then the next section the next section it was pretty much that when i did the unmasked because there it, it took a few seconds for the building to realizing, hey, who's that blonde guy down there in the third or fourth row? Uh, when they realized and they popped in the next section, I remember on the floor, you know, the building sort of popping section A and then B and then C and then D. Uh, and I walked out. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't escorted out by security until uh, I had reached the outer perimeter trying to find and hook back up with the guy that I was with. And I thought my God, now I heard footsteps behind me and I stopped, you know, I, you know, I, again, we bought tickets. So, you know, there was, there's nothing in the rules that says you can't stand up and take a mask off that you have. Uh, so I'd done nothing wrong. I'd done nothing outside the boundaries of the rules. And I was very careful about that because I didn't want to give uh, a certain Irishman that I have low respect for uh, an easy, you know, home run. So as I was walking out of the building, trying to find and locate and, and, and join back up with the guy I was with, I hear steps behind me and I stopped. And when I turned around, the person that was following me, the security person that was following me, stopped in their tracks like I was a murderer, murderer or something. And uh, 
asked if I had a ticket, and I told them I did. And uh, the problem was I didn't have it on me. The person I was with had the ticket. But, you know, once he saw the, once they saw the ticket, you know, I was pretty much left alone. Uh, uh, you know, and that, that's pretty much, uh, you know, the, the, the escapade from start to finish, other than how I got in the building. Uh, I thought that, you know, that, A, I'm going to be quickly recognized if I just walk into this building as Shane Douglas. And so I wore the mask and I wore the, you know, the big bulky overshirt. And uh, as we got to the first level of security and, and the second level and the third level and the fourth level, we're getting closer to our seats. I kept thinking, it's only going to take one person to recognize something. And so I was trying to walk differently and move differently and act differently. So as not to draw, you know, scrutiny and, uh, it worked, you know, that when we got onto the floor and had a clear shot to our seats, I couldn't believe it. And I thought, boy, how easy that was, you know, so, you know, for any terrorists out there that were listening, uh, you know, it, it, it really was overly easy. And I think that it's gotten less easy as a result, in part because of what I did. I'm sure after the Enzo incident that, you know, the security will be greatly tightened at the WWE uh, programs. Now, do you think, do you give him any credit for trying it? I mean, obviously, uh, pay-per-view, Los Angeles, you know, wearing an elaborate disguise, you know, trying to promote an event that he's trying to jumpstart a musical career. Obviously does have an axe to grind and did not leave on good terms. But do you give him credit for actually uh, trying to do something to get his name back out there in the news? Because it obviously worked in the wrestling circles. Hey, each person is his own person, right? Each person has to decide for themselves. And each of us has our own intimate experience with Vince McMahon. So uh, I can't begrudge the guy for giving it a try. Uh you know, what I'm, what I'm sort of reticent on and weak on is I'm not, I have no understanding of the background of the, the charges that were filed against them and when they were dropped, why they were dropped. Was it lack of evidence? Was it the, the DA didn't believe her? Uh, whatever. Uh, but, you know, and everybody knows on this show, I, you know, from I hope this doesn't come across as a defense for Vince McMahon, but in today's climate, you can understand how a publicly traded company is going to be very concerned with somebody who's had these kind of accusations levied against them. Uh, you know, I, but I'm also a firm believer in the rule of law and the right to confront your accuser, and uh, you know all the stuff we heard about during the, the you know the Kavanaugh hearings. Um, you know, how far it went, I, I am completely ignorant on the facts of that part of the Enzo case. Uh, so I, I really can't speak on that in any kind of educated uh, tone other than, you know, I can understand why WWE would have, when they ended their relationship, why they would have. Um, you know, again, I, I believe you're innocent until proven guilty. Uh, and it seems from the scant few things that I read, that the WWE jumped to a conclusion, somebody's been accused, we're going to distance ourselves and release him. And, and, you know, for a person that's had that happen to them, uh, if that person is innocent in that kind of situation, 
And you can understand how pissed off that person would be that the company that they've worked for and busted their ass for would just sort of throw them to the wolves. And why then he would want to use that platform. And again, I say that being completely ignorant of the facts in the case. Uh, but, you know, based off of what I have read, uh, the, the tiny bit that I had read, you can, I, I can clearly see why he would feel it his right to uh, hijack that show for, you know, the minimum time that he did. Do you think at all possibly that it was a work? Because to me, I'm always very suspicious of anything in the wrestling business as far as people saying, oh, it's a shoot, it's real, it's real, it's real. I always kind of go the opposite way and think it's possibly a work, especially knowing that Enzo and Triple H have a long history together and a great relationship. Any possibility that it was a work? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. In this business, anytime you you watch anything, (coughs) there's always an opportunity there to work. Um, The question is, to what degree? Like, to me, when... You know, Chad said a second ago about, you know, the the, the disguise. Uh, you know, I when I looked at the picture of him uh, with the wig on, it, he still pretty much looked like Enzo to me. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's always possible. Uh, but then, like, you try to extrapolate that, like, here we are, what, 20-plus years later, still trying to ascertain whether or not the Montreal Screwjob was a shoot or not. Um you know, when you look at it, you have to ask yourself, what did the WWE gain off of that? And I would argue that there was very little they gained. Uh, what did Enzo garner? I would say was much more because you know, the fans, uh, from what I read, the fans came out and had, um, you know, uh, uh, flyers on their window window sills, you know, the windshields. And, you know, so I, I don't know what, does anybody know what he pulled at the, uh, at the show that night? No, not sure. So, yeah, I mean, it's all, there's always a, a, a case to be said that it could be a work, but, you know, with WWE being a publicly traded company, and this is where I think the, the real issue comes in that you can't then push the envelope, you know, like for instance, the Gary Wolf halo throwdown. There's no chance in hell, the proverbial snowball's chances in hell, that that angle would have come off if we were doing that in the WWE and as a publicly traded company. The reason being because, you know, there's, you know, how many, uh, you know, rights groups out there for handicapped people, that sort of thing that would be turned off by that, you know, so... You know, I think this gets into a deeper discussion that I don't think we really want to get into right now as to, you know, the, uh, you know, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, and what is appropriate, not appropriate for a publicly traded company because it's vastly different. And, uh, you know, but the, you know, the Enzo disguise, you know, <laughs> you know, didn't really throw me. I mean, I would have recognized him with or without that wig. Um, you know, and again, I, I think uh, to me, the, uh, the negative to it comes because he was trying to push something else that was not WWE related. And this, again, everybody knows my feelings for that company. So this is not a defense for them. It's just that if you're going to go to their building and 
try to detract from their show to push, uh, you know, a, an individual uh, uh, cause. You know, in this case, I'm doing a show tonight, a concert, and I just released my album. You know, the thing for ECW when we did it in Philadelphia was Philadelphia is ECW's home base. I mean, you're over the target, right? And, you know, we were doing the show there in a few weeks. And, uh, you know, the, the it was shortly after the whole WWE debacle with the new quote-unquote ECW. This was a way for us to, you know, get some pretty straightforward uh, advertisement that, hey, if you remember ECW and you love ECW, there's going to be a show in a couple weeks. So I, it's, it's splicing hairs, but it wasn't Shane Douglas doing it for, you know, Shane Douglas's concert tonight. Uh, it was Shane Douglas doing it to remind the Philadelphia audience, you know, about the history of ECW in that town this past weekend at the, uh, uh, the panel discussion on Sunday. A young lady from Philadelphia, uh, her first question was about how proud she was that ECW was a Philadelphia product and it was considered like a hometown thing. So uh, I think that was her answer more substantiates the reason that we did the angle in the first place. Now, switching gears a bit, I'm not sure if you saw this or not, but David Arquette was involved in a death yeah. match and it was pretty, uh, got pretty scary, got pretty gory. Uh, Nick Gage obviously is a veteran of the ring and a veteran of the death match. David Arquette, not so much, but uh, to reveal just a little bit here, and I don't know how much I really should say, but let's just say I've seen David Arquette do a death match in an unknown location, and I've seen him do it against untrained wrestlers. So I know Nick Gage is, is trained, so it's a little bit different. So David Arquette is definitely crazy as hell. I just want to throw that out there. But Shane, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this? I agree. And, and look, I, I give the guy credit in this respect that, you know, for somebody who already has a career, you know, somebody who could go do God knows nine million other things that it seems to me at this point, he's trying to validate, you know, what happened back in 2000 in WCW, because, you know, a lot of the fans have very strong feelings about that. I can't give a guy uh, bad grades, you know, as not to invoke a certain character that we dislike, uh, but I can't give a guy a negative tone when he doesn't need to do any of this and yet he's coming and doing it and laying his body the line at his age to do it. It shows me that, uh, Arquette has a love and affinity for our business, much like every other person that's ever excelled in this business. And, uh, I think in that case, he got himself in a little bit further than he expected. You know, it's one thing if you go in thinking, hey, wrestling's fake and this is all going to be done with smoke and mirrors. And then you get into that kind of a match and suddenly, you know, you're you're being hit over the head with light bulbs and, you know, hit with tables and chairs and, you know, and getting busted up. That's when the reality sets in. And that's when I go and I read his uh, comments after, you know, uh, with TMZ and other things online 
that you know, I think he realized that, you know, maybe got himself a, a bit deeper than he really would have liked to have gotten. But speaking from experience, when you're standing center ring and you realize the light bulb goes off on something like that, ain't, ain't too much you can do about it at that point. You know, you, you've got two choices. You can turn and put your tail between your legs and leave the ring and kill your, your reputation, or you can see it through and, you know, kudos to Arquette. Uh, and as you know, I've not, I was not a big fan of Arquette getting the world title in WCW, but, you know, kudos for him at this stage of his life and his career that he's going out there and, and uh, didn't just turn and walk away from it. Uh, you know, punched the time clock and, and went in there and performed uh, until he realized that he was in a bit above his head. Hey, Shane, let's pause one second and remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by Blue Chew and BlueChew.com. Hey, you don't have to be a doctor to know the benefits of Blue Chew, but for those of us who need to be enlightened, it's the first ever chewable, so you don't have to wait in that pesky doctor's office for a prescription. It's fast acting, and you can also use it on a full stomach. It also comes with very discreet packaging so that Nebno's mailman doesn't get to know that you're going to be taking care of business with your significant other later on this evening. So right now, if you want to give Blue Chew a try, just go to bluechew.com and use promo code FRANCHISE. That's <laughs> FRANCHISE. You get your first shipment free, and all you've got to do is pay $5 for shipping and handling. Again, go to bluechew.com right now and use the promo code FRANCHISE. That's right. <laughs> FRANCHISE. Get your first shipment free and pay only $5 for shipping and handling. Again, bluechew.com. Use the promo code FRANCHISE and take advantage of our very special offer. I suggest you do this before, you know, the Chadster tries to buy out the entire stock. <laughs> Get to BlueChew.com right now. This was for Game Changer Wrestling, normally in the New Jersey area. They are expanding everywhere as they're getting more and more popular. And obviously this show was out there in California. So, Shane, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wow, Ked is doing all this crazy stuff. You know, what, what, what's going on? Then it kind of ends in a bad way, and then... People online are saying, oh, you know, that looks bad for Game Changer. I don't know. It probably did well on their internet pay-per-view. It probably got more eyeballs on their product because of TMZ and things like that. you think it's a negative for the promotion, or does it somehow turn around into a positive? No, it's many people. Look, how many times in my career have said, talk good about me, talk bad about me, just talk about me? And the, the, the philosophy behind that is, if you're talking about me, you could say, Shane Douglas is the shittiest wrestler I've ever seen. I hate his guts. I think he's a piece of garbage. If you're doing that online, you're spreading my name. Um, you know, so I, I don't see a negative in this uh, for the promotion other than, you know, putting a guy out there in that kind of a position that has that kind of uh, uh, world-level uh, respect you know david arquette's known in a lot of places outside of wrestling and now outside of you know just doing movies uh or tv shows uh you know so he he's sort of transcending that i can't give anybody you know i'm i'm, I'm a star where like people always make fun of uh virgil right and i've been on shows where i've flown to boston and seen virgil on a show and gotten up on 5 a.m. and caught a you know, early flight back to Pittsburgh, and then driven you know six seven eight hours from Pittsburgh, 
And Virgil's at that show the next day, having driven overnight to get there. I can't begrudge a guy who's going to bust his ass to make a dollar. Uh, more, I have, I can begrudge the guy that's the lazy piece of shit that thinks he's entitled and, you know, shouldn't have to do those types of things. One gets my respect and one gets my disdain, you know? So for Arquette, again, as much as I've railed against his, uh, WCW title run, the fact that he's out there now at this age, what, you know, 18 years later, uh, you know, not that any of us are spring chickens, but. You know, to go in and take that kind of a match against an experienced guy like Gage, you know, that's, uh, you know, that gets some level of respect. You you, you can't really sell it any other way than that. Uh, now, if you want me to, to rail against David for a second, I think he put himself in a very dangerous position, put himself in a situation that somebody like him at this stage of his life and career shouldn't be putting himself in. Uh, but you know, it's, it's the yin and yang, you know, which, which side do you fall down on that argument? And, uh, you know, I think, uh, if nothing else, I think David Arquette has a, a, a deeper appreciation for professional wrestling and what, you know, somebody that's, that's a full-time professional wrestler endures on a day-to-day basis. He definitely loves the business. Definitely trying to basically make up for what happened in WCW because he knows so many fans were against it. But it's crazy to think that in 2018, one of the big bright spots to wrestling has kind of been his return to the ring and, and everything that's going on with him and his love and his affinity for wrestling. And it's pretty crazy to say 2018, he's kind of been uh, stealing the show uh, a little bit as far as wrestling is concerned. Well, I mean, you know, when you have a name like David Arquette has in our industry, you know, when you walk in again, talk good, talk bad, just talk. Uh, when you have someone like Arquette stepping now back into the ring, you know, some number of fans are going to skew it. Some number of fans will love it. And the rest of it falls into place. Uh, so, you know, you know, controversy is not a measurable thing. You can't say, well, if I do A and B, and it's going to lead to C, and we can measure it to this degree, uh, much like when we did the uh, Gary Wolf Halo throwdown. You know, in hindsight, if, if I had known entering that ring that it was going to garner that kind of reaction from the crowd, it's very likely I would not have done it. <clears throat> you know, because it was scary as shit. Uh, so, but you can't really get to the point of measuring it until you've done it, you know, so much like David Arquette, I would think in this, uh, event, you know, the, this crazy massive with them, uh, you know, not until you're in it, can you sit there and say, Holy shit, I shouldn't be here or, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting my stride. This is exactly where I should be. Uh, I would think David, if he were on the show right now, would voice his sentiment as being the former, not the latter. And it's just crazy when you watch that and think, like, wow, you know, he's he's definitely nuts to go ahead and do do that match and do the death match and and and, and how it turned out. It's almost like, oh man, you know, you know to anybody it would be terrible. But it's like, man, this is a pretty famous Hollywood actor here. What the you know what the hell is he doing? Pretty crazy right. the the passion that he has for the 
the business that he thought he could pull that off. Yeah, I mean, look, we all know because we're wrestling fans, right? We're marks, and 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 so we get it. You know that somebody that, regardless of where they've excelled in their professional life, if you're a fan of this business and you have your toe in that door, no matter how slightly, and now you see him coming back uh, and you know, trying to validate what happened 18 years ago. Um, he may succeed, he may not succeed, but I think he's going to garner some level of respect from the fans in putting himself in these kind of matches. I just hope that he doesn't, along the way, get hurt in the process. Definitely. Now, it is that time again. AFA Ask Franchise Anything as we have somewhat of a quicker episode today. I feel like it's, it's flying by, but here we go. AFA Ask Franchise Anything. John Means sends in a question. Franchise with tag team wrestling being sorely mistreated nowadays. What do you think could be done to renew interest in tag team wrestling? Look, tag team wrestling, like any genre of wrestling, right? I mean, it could be the singles. It could be the tag team. It could be the six man. <clears throat> All it needs is the talent to execute it. Uh, when I grew up watching the WWE, you had so many tag teams that you know, it was like a revolving door. And, and you know, this tag team A could excel tonight and by next week drop the belt and tag team B excel and then tag team C, D, E, F, and G. Uh, what I'm seeing today, uh, and I think I have a, a much better insight today than I would have two weeks ago having watched the, uh, the, the WWE pay-per-view, is that it's, it's pretty much been sanitized out. You know, so, you know, if I, if I were to say to you, you know, list 10 tag teams in the WWE today and especially 10 over tag teams uh, that could draw money, I think you'd be scratching the, you know, pretty, pretty hard deep into the, uh, into the concrete after probably two or three, uh, if you could get that far. Um, you know, to me, wrestling shouldn't be, whether it's tag team, whether it's individual, whether it's six man, whatever, it shouldn't just be, hey, we have a need on a show, so let's just throw, you know, John Pod and Chad out there as a tag team, <clears throat> and then Joe Blow and Tom Smith as another. Uh, you groom them and, and build them toward it. Uh, you know, what I saw in that, in that pay-per-view, as I've talked about the WrestleCade this past weekend, it was abysmal. Uh, I would be embarrassed to put my name on that show as a producer, a writer, uh, an agent, uh, because it missed on every level. Even the Nakamura-Seth uh, Rollins match that I had high hopes for because of the two participants was junior varsity times 10. And uh, if that's what you get when you know, a big company has a pay-per-view and we need to build towards this pay-per-view and the next pay-per-view and the pay-per-view after that. If that's the end result, that you have two incredible performers like Nakamura and Seth Rollins just going out there and, you know, just doing some gaga until they get to the bell. Uh, go back, if you haven't seen it, go back and watch that match and ask yourself, what happened with trying to pin your opponent? And that, in my mind, was the penultimate match on that card. Uh, so getting back to the question, you know, you can't just say, okay, well, here's Shane Douglas and 
here's the Chadster and John Pod pause and, and now here's a new six band and you know they're over so you know buy a ticket to see them just because we say they're over you know that's something that happens over time being over isn't something the company decides it's something the fans decide and when you watch the wwe product and you see just how abysmally they're hitting this you know how poorly these shows are being executed with the millions and millions of dollars being poured in, the production levels are astounding. Uh, you, know, you can't say anything negative about that. But what you can sort of criticize is the onerous entrances that become silly after about two minutes. And uh, you know that's whether it's a woman, whether it's a singles man, uh, if it's a tag team, if it's a six man. If it's just about, hey, go out, now, somebody told me this, and I don't know if it's accurate. I haven't had time to fact check it. But somebody told me that the Divas, when they wrestle, regardless of what happens in the match, they have to leave the ring with a smile on their face. I go out, and I hit you over there with the chair, and I pile drive you on the chair, then I hit you with a kendo stick, and I hit you with a cinder block in uh, your shoulder blades, not the back of your head, mind you. Um, and then after I pin you, you leave with a smile on your face. Uh, it is absurdity times 1,000. And, uh, you know, I get all the, the business points are publicly traded, but I would dare say that the people that have invested in that company would rather see the kind of results that would garner higher and higher stock prices, which inherently means better and better house shows, better and better gates, uh, better and better buy rates. The debacle they put on last week Garner's none of the above. Uh, so uh, getting back to the question, you know, I think that the, the, the absolute abandonment of tag team wrestling by the Federation is doing them no favors. You know, there are a lot of fans that love tag team wrestling and there, there truly is a science to it. It's not just they put two guys together and send them out there. You can do that. And it seems pretty much that's what WWE's been doing lately. But done properly, uh, a tag team match and a tag team angle executed properly can draw to the edge of your seat. And as proof, I would offer up, go back and watch Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard uh, against Rock and Roll Express, against fill in the blank. Uh, you know, when you watch those matches and you see how intelligently, uh, how deftly, and how impactfully those matches are executed, and then compare that to what you see today in tag team wrestling in the Federation, uh, much like the abandonment of managers and uh, uh, you know the other things like the cliffhanger finish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there are so many things that the Federation has done. If if this is the net result of being a publicly traded company, then goddamn it, keep me private. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great point. Hey, I got to piggyback quickly off of that uh, statement about Survivor Series. Um, we're recording this on a Tuesday, so obviously Monday Night Raw was the previous night. It emanated from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and Shane, you'll get a kick out of this. So uh, I guess there was a fan who was very uh, upset with how Raw uh, <laughs> came off last night. So they took to Wikipedia to edit... And you, you all, we know how you love Wikipedia. Obviously, the Phantom Birthday that we talked about, uh, and 
in great detail a week ago. So a fan went on to the, the Wikipedia page for Milwaukee, Wisconsin, okay? And this is what it said. So uh, the city's estimate, of course, my page crashes as I'm waiting to read it. I've been holding it here for five minutes. Uh, the city's estimated population in 2017 was 595,351 people. Milwaukee is the main cultural and economic center of the Milwaukee metro- metropolitan area. It is also the city where wrestling died during an episode of Raw that aired from Milwaukee on uh, November 26, 2018. So there you go. That's how bad people are, wow. are feeling about the product. Yeah, look, I, I mean, again, you, we can all have opinions, you know, but like the like the old saying goes, the numbers don't lie. And, you know, I, I could say three degrees left, you could say three degrees right, but when you sort of put it all in a bowl and then dissect the numbers as we're seeing them come out, you know, everybody's, you know, without boring everybody, because they've heard these numbers how many times on this podcast. But in the last 14 years, we've seen every subsequent year have lower and lower ratings. And I can already say, you're going to hear somebody say, well, the ratings are down in general. You're right. And they are. But they're not down 97%, 96%. Then you watch that show. And for purists like us that have watched wrestling for decades, and in one of our cases, he's been in the business for decades. And then you watch that product and you can see every single thing that they're doing, they're doing incorrectly. And then you see the drop in the numbers. I have to believe that there is some connection between the abysmal quality of the, of the show. And look, again, getting back to Nakamura and, and, and uh, Seth Rollins, their, their show, their match last week was an embarrassment. I'd love to have those guys on the show and say, you know what, guys? Go out and tear the fucking house down. Show me what you got. I'd be willing to bet they put on a better performance than they did at, at that pay-per-view last week, uh, two weeks ago, whatever it was. Um, yeah, but then you hear the fans saying something like that. You know, that, you know it, it's much like with CNN, right? You know, so we see CNN's ratings down 49% last year, or 30, 47% last year, another 39% this year. Uh, the powers that be, the people that are making the decisions for that network, when they're now down to about 200,000 primetime viewers, uh, you know, God, I remember when CNN was the news agency on the planet. Uh, I would dare say it was probably as stronger than, than uh, 200,000 viewers on a uh, uh, nightly basis. And yet you see that and you ask yourself, how do they continue down this path? How does the business model say, well, okay, 200,000, no big deal. We'll, we'll go to 180, we'll go to 150, we'll go to 100, we'll go to 50. At some point, the business uh, model has to kick in and say, we can't go any lower. Maybe we need to take a different path. And the same thing with WWE. The only thing that holds that back is that the WWE, even though a publicly traded company, uh, the the majority shares of the, of the stocks are owned by the McMahon family. And if you put together Shane's with Stephanie's, with Linda's, with Hunter's, with Shane's and blah, 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 you can see how they can, they can ride this to the end. They, they can ride this to where the, uh, the stocks literally say zero and zero viewers. They can ride this out as deep as they could. If I was an institutional investor, I would, seriously be questioning my investment in the WWE 
based off of what we're seeing in the ring. Uh, you know, the performances and, and the shows that they're putting out there. And you can hear it again in what that fan wrote. Uh, I can't say it any better than what that fan said. And yet we'll see this company continue on and nothing will change. And the next pay-per-view will be as bad or worse than the last one. And next year at this time, the ratings will be even lower than they are this, at this point. Uh, if history proves uh, any accuracy. Uh, so I, I, I can't say it any better. Like I said, that fan said it. Uh, as somebody that's been in the business for as long as I have and prided myself on being a draw in the business because I worked hard at it, I can't imagine going to the ring up there. It doesn't matter. You're, they're not going to allow you to do what you want to do. They're going to tell you, here's your script. Here's what you have. You know, you got four minutes, you got six minutes, you got eight minutes. Go out and regurgitate this and this. And by the way, this agent's going to tell you what to do and what not to do. Uh, my God, I can't think of anything. I'd rather be put in a straitjacket and in a rubber room and it was a, uh, you know, a wet noodle uh, every night than, than to have to try to perform under those circumstances. But uh, as we've always known, the fans get it. The, the fans tuning out is a way of them voicing their opinion. Now we're seeing it you know, in, in the comments from this fan that, uh, if I were on the WWE decision-making team, I'd be raising some serious questions in the next meeting, because if that's what your fans are saying as a result of the performance levels, they just saw and just experienced, you're on the wrong path, guys, uh, seriously, egregiously on the wrong path. Very well said and great uh, comedic uh, writings there by that fan that edited that uh, Wikipedia. So if you want to be like John Means and send in a question, please hit us up on Twitter at the 3 Threat Pod, at the Franchise SD, at Two Man Power Trip, or at Wrestling Pal, or take the old-fashioned way of doing it and email us at thetriplethreatpod at gmail.com. You can give us a little more of a detailed uh, submission that way give us uh, everything on your mind instead of being limited to characters by doing it via the uh, the Twitter verse there and if you want to get anything involved with this show please head over to tmptofwrestling.com you can get the links to all the downloads the YouTube videos and the links to the amazing franchise Jane Douglas t-shirt collection over at prowrestlingtees.com and also figurestoycompany.com who just announced the signing of Vince Russo to add to nice. the yeah, to add to the action figure line. So now your Vince Russo action figure can book all the crazy matches that you've ever wanted him to book. And uh, he won't get any heat for it because it's just his action figure. So <laughs> hey, I gotta ask yeah, you before right? I gotta ask you before we wrap up, did you get a chance to listen to that Kiss Meets the Phantom uh, C D that the uh, the fan handed you while I was sitting over there with you? I have not yet. I will be listening to that tomorrow. Uh, whatever he's just uh, still everybody in, uh couple of fans came up this week and we had a great conversation for about a half hour and he gave me a CD that that appeared to be a, CD, a musical CD of Kiss Meets the Fan of the Park but it wasn't called that it was called something else and uh, but it was you know from that and then on the back it has you know different songs and music from the from the movie and uh, from what these guys told me, whoever produced this, you know, did it very professionally. So I can't wait to sit and listen to it uh, because of 
And it's got some great Kiss songs on it. It's got some music from the movie, uh, Kiss Me the Fam of the Park. And uh, I'm eager to listen to it. But what I did listen to uh, after seeing Bohemian Rhapsody this past weekend was I listened to the uh, Queen Queen's Greatest Hits and, you know, was not uh, disappointed. Uh, it was fantastic to just listen to that music. You know, when you when you have something, just like wrestling, you know, like we talk about ECW, that it still has a following, still draws, uh, still drives that anticipation in the audience. Uh, it tells me that we did something right in that little bingo hall company. Uh, the same thing, you know, with, with Queen, when you, you, you take that greatest hits and you put it on, having seen Bohemian Rhapsody and, you know, you put it on and you listen to the music, the songs you've listened to 10,000 times suddenly take on much greater difference and, and significance. Uh, you know, so I'm looking forward to listening to that CD and, and to the two guys that brought it by. Uh, thank you very much for it. As soon as I get through it and listen to it, I will post on Twitter, uh, my feelings about it. I, a little sidebar, not to keep droning on, but, I apologize to everybody that I have not had the chance to be on Twitter, but as you guys know, for the last several weeks, I've been literally a chicken running around with his head cut off between making it to the events. Uh, tomorrow we're having my Thanksgiving dinner with my sons and with Dominic. Uh, you know, so I, I haven't had the time to get on there and engage the way that I want. I don't want to go on and answer one or two questions and pop off, uh, but I assure everybody keep sending your questions. I will be getting on there in the next week or so and devoting a couple days just to catching up with everybody. Uh, you know, I, it's just, I've been so damn busy. I haven't had a chance. See, that's why you're such a, uh, a fan favorite, even though you're a heel, you're a fan favorite because they, they love you, Shane. We get the questions all the time. When is the franchise coming back? So there you got it, folks. He's, uh, he's on his way. And where are you going to be on your way this week? I know you got your Thanksgiving dinner all set up tomorrow. The uh, the campfire stories will be in full effect. But where are you going to be headed this coming weekend? Thursday night, Rhino uh, of uh, of ECW WWE TNA fame uh, is putting on his annual show in Detroit uh, to raise money for some kids' charities for Christmas. And uh, uh, he was gracious enough to invite me, and I'm looking forward to getting up there Thursday night. Uh, I'm sure if you go to Rhino's Twitter page, Facebook pages. I'm sure you get all the information. We're looking forward to getting up there Friday and then or Saturday, Thursday, and then Friday, I will be in Chillicothe uh, after a uh, you know, gauntlet, so to speak, was thrown down by Bobby Fulton, uh, who I thought had retired last year. Seems that he's got himself some one of the local coaches. Uh, calls himself a Sherman Tank. And, uh, you know, made a challenge. And so I decided, hey, Sherman Tank, uh, let me think here. Oh, wait a second. There's a guy named Moose that I work with that has 17 rings, was accepted, uh, was inducted into the uh, College Football Hall of Fame, uh, uh, you know, has all the rings and also happens to be about six foot four, about 400, 410 pounds. And, if you think I'm miserable, you ought to talk to Moose sometime. He's a miserable <laughs> cuss. So uh, in Chilla Coffee on Friday, uh, Bobby Fulton and his local coach that they call the Sherman Tank will be running into the franchise and uh, the Moose, all 410 pounds of him. So I'm looking forward to just sitting on the apron and watching that one and, and seeing who's who's got the biggest Sherman Tank. 
is my sermon tank bigger than your sermon tank? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I don't hope they're not going moose hunting though. That's the only thing. I hope they. Uh, I hope they don't bring any distractions for the moose. I know. Uh, you know, he is a mammoth individual, and you could see him in full moose mode at WrestleCade. That was. Uh, it's always a great sight to be seen. But let's wrap it up here. Another fun episode. Thanks for taking the time, Shane. See, you want to talk about the draws? You're the draw, man. It's all about it's all about the franchise every single week. So let's wrap it up. Let's get on the road to episode 74. And uh, we'll see you do your thing over the weekend. But let's get it out of here, partner, and uh, take the show uh, to 74. Hey, 73 big episodes. Number 74 right on the horizon. It's the holiday season, the time of giving, the time of slapping, the time of slamming, the time of banging. Get your ass back here next week for 74 or get your ass franchised. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.